beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves, and the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. Each episode has a prompt or a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to a friend, or share on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. I have been a fan of Pantsuit Politics, the show, for years now, but I am even more of a fan of its creators, Beth Silvers and Sarah Stewart Holland. I have listened to their podcast, read both of their books. I'm part of their Patreon. I just so deeply respect the way these two women navigate the dicey, political topics they cover with thoughtfulness, intelligence, and most of all, with nuance. As I've been having these conversations this spring about my new book, The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs, I wanted Beth and Sarah to come on 10 Things to Tell You to talk about their friendship and their business partnership and what seats they serve on each other's life councils. The obvious seems to be that they would be business besties because they own a business together, or maybe old friends since they met in college. But as an outside observer, I also see them as battle buddies. The political landscape in America is no joke, and dissecting it publicly week after week, year after year together, it feels like its own kind of battle. You can listen to Sarah and Beth Weekly on their podcast, Pantsuit Politics, and they've written two books together, both of which I highly recommend. The first one is called I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversations. And their most recent book is called Now What? How to Move Forward When We're Divided About Basically Everything. They also have an amazing Patreon platform, and they are on social media as Pantsuit Politics. You can find out more about them individually and their work together at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Of course, as always, I will link all of this in the show notes. I could have talked to Beth Silvers and Sarah Stewart Holland for hours on this topic of friendship and partnership. They are insightful and funny, and I know you're going to take so much from this conversation. Sarah and Beth, welcome to 10 Things to Tell You. We're so excited to be here. Thank you for having us thrilled. I love y'all. I've loved you for so Same. long. And I've had the chance to be on your show talking with Beth about my own political sea change over the last, at this point now, it's it's been a long time, but over the last nearly decade, close to a decade. But there hasn't been much of an occasion to talk about politics on 10 things to tell you. <laughs> and so 
I'm super excited to have you here because we can now talk a little bit, not about politics, but about your friendship as Pantsuit Politics. I think from the outside, people might assume you were business besties. You are business besties. But I see you both as fellow obsessives and even more importantly, battle buddies. So I want to just talk about that. Can y'all give me a brief overview of your origin story? Who wants to start? <laughs> well, I'm the designated origin storyteller at Pantsy Politics. And there is a there's a dash of old friend in there in that we just have a long history because we yeah. knew each other in college. We met each other when we were each 18 years old at Transylvania University. And we it's a small college anyway, but we were also in the same sorority. Um, mm -hmm. So we had a lot of interactions. We were not close friends. We didn't leave college like best friends or anything. We had different experiences in college, but we knew each other well um, and stayed connected over social media. And I was in the early aughts, like, like many people, uh, writing a mommy blog. Weren't we all? You know what I mean? Everybody, literally everyone. Everyone except me. It's fine. <laughs> no, that's not true. It's not it me. It counts because she reached out and said, would you like some guest posts on your blog? And I said, absolutely. So you're you're in that web as well, Beth. And I said, sure. And she wrote a post called Nuance. That was when we were all arguing, God bless our sweethearts, about Cecil the Lion and Caitlyn Jenner winning the Arthur Ashe Award. Like those were the like of the moment internet controversies. And she wrote this great post about like, well, what if whatever I say about that is not the entirety of who, who I am as a human being? What if we just put the hashtag nuance at the end of our social media post as like a like a little flag to say, remember, I'm a whole and complete person on the other side of this post. And it was so popular. You know, it went viral for my little blog at the time. And my husband had been arguably harassing me to start a podcast. Like he was like, you got to do it. You'll be good at it. You got to do it. You got to do it. And I thought about doing an interview show and I did one interview about women in politics and it just kind of sat there. And that's where I'd come up with the name Pantsu Politics. And I thought, well, wait a second. I know because at the time, best politics were different than mine. And I thought, well, this could be interesting because I also know we wouldn't, we wouldn't do the like crossfire shtick. Like we would have a more interesting conversation and so I said, would you be interested in starting a podcast? And she said, what's a podcast? And I said, don't worry, my husband's got it all figured out. And we did a test call. I remember driving around with my baby in the backseat asleep, you know, like one of those nap drives where you're like, well, I'd rather just drive than get this, try to wake this baby up and transport it to somewhere else. And we talked for like 45 minutes. And I remember saying like, okay, we're not going to talk anymore unless we're recording it because this was really good. We just had really good conversational energy from the beginning. And so that's how the, the podcast started. And that, that was the beginning of our friendship because we were not friends at that point. And we built the friendship over the course of making the podcast and building the business. So you weren't friends, which I actually think this is interesting because that term is so broadly applied to different relationships in our life, but you weren't friends, friends, but you were sorority sisters. So like... Did you feel like you knew each other well enough to know that this was kind of a worthy endeavor that you were going to be okay in one another's hands or you might as well have been strangers? Like, what was it like? You're saying you weren't friends, but I'm like trying to define, well, you were literally sorority sisters. Well, we were friends. We were Facebook friends. You know, like we, we were acquaintances. I didn't leave college and stay in touch with Beth like I did, like with some of my other sorority sisters because they were in, in remain like my, my best friend. So yeah, I think you're right. We're asking that word to do a lot of work. Well, I'll fact check myself and say I did try to do a little bit of blogging in that period. So just want to be clear about that. It was <laughs> teeny tiny. But I bring that up because the writing that Sarah was doing gave me a strong sense that I didn't really know her as an adult. Hmm. I knew a college version of her, but not an adult version of her. And that made me realize she doesn't know an adult version of me. So I have some level of trust and certainly familiarity and comfort because we had been at school together and had these shared connections through it. But we experienced that really differently. If you had asked me, are you going to form a business and a huge part of your life with the version of Sarah that you knew in college, I, I would have said, no, absolutely not. And she would have said the same about me, I'm certain. But there was a spark 
in that writing that made me think this is a person I would like to know and, and have in my life. Okay, I'm so glad you pressed that point because a huge part of the Life Council, like one of the biggest messages of the Life Council is to look for people who are already in your life. Mm. Now, y'all weren't in each other's lives per se. You didn't live in the same place. You know, we've been out of college a while, but you were Facebook friends. So maybe you came through each other's feed occasionally. Obviously, Beth, you were reading what she was writing online. Mm -hmm. So I feel like when people think about making new friends or deepening friendships or whatever, it just feels like too heavy of a lift for most people because they just cannot cold call, like, you know, someone at Starbucks and be like, hey, you look like a nice, normal woman. Can we be friends? That's too hard for almost anyone, even for the extroverts among us. And so I want people to think about people who are already in their life and notice, like Beth just said, this is the the even bigger part, noticing if there's a spark, like, hey, she's different than I thought, or I never got to know her and maybe I should have, or I just like her, maybe we could be friends. But then when you started out with Pantsuit Politics, you were pretty different in how you were viewing American politics at the time, or how you were voting, I guess I should say. So what was that dynamic like? You're friends, you know each other, you trust each other, you believe each other to be solid humans, and yet you you really think about things differently. What, what was the nature of putting those conversations out publicly when you disagree? <laughs> well, can I say something too, though? Think about the alchemy of that moment with Beth. Think about the fact that she didn't read what I wrote and just take her inspiration in her individual path. She didn't just think, oh, I'll write my own blog. I'll respond and take this in an individual pursuit, right? There was something there that she thought, I don't want to just express how I feel. I want to be in conversation with what's happening here. Mm. And like, what? well, that's so special that she, that's what she decided to do instead of just, well, I'll just write my own Facebook post about this, right? She reached out to me and said, would you be interested in a guest post? And I said, absolutely. Yes. You know, like that's that's really there's something there because, you know, every great relationship in my life and also every great moment of career development, personal growth has been that moment. Like my first blog was because a friend from law school reached out to me and said, would you want to start a blog together? I see that you're blogging individually. Would you like to write something together? And it's that other aspect of a business bestie, which can be like a partnership in business that I think is so special. And no, I wasn't thinking about that when we started. I wasn't thinking like we're going to build this amazing business, but it was so appealing to me to be able to be in conversation. And I think conversations that just involve agreement are boring. So I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me like, oh, well, we're going to be disagreeing in public on the internet. Probably because I had not anticipated how many people would be listening so soon, uh, thanks to a shout out from Apple Podcasts. But I think that it just it was it was interesting to me. It was I was curious about what could happen, and that way outweighed any fear or trepidation I had of other consequences. Well, and you're right that it took Beth doing that reach out, that can feel very vulnerable. You have to have a certain amount of boldness. You have to have a hefty dose of insight. Beth, is that your MO in life or was that a random out on a limb thing? That's my MO. I am, I am quiet about it, but when I know what I want, I'm willing to go for it. Before I reached out to Sarah to write on her blog, I had gone to the firm where I was a practicing lawyer and said, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore, but I've got some ideas for the business. And I made up a job and got myself hired for it. And that's just kind of how I roll. I think life's awfully short. And if you if you see something, you might as well go for it. Well, that's amazing. I mean. <laughs> she is amazing. I've done a lot of therapy and it has convinced me. I think what I always feel confident about is that I'll land on my feet. Like if Sarah had said, no, I don't want a guest post, it wouldn't have crushed me. I, I, I wasn't trying to start a career writing a blog. I wasn't really looking for anything other than that relationship with her and that opportunity to be in conversation. And, and so if that was a no, that would have been fine. And 
I think that's how I've approached a lot of our discussions, especially early on. It was kind of an asset that we we didn't have a relationship, but instead we were building one because the stakes were pretty low. Mm-hmm. I also wasn't thinking about anybody listening, really, except like my mom and maybe some of the people who read Sarah's blog. But it just allowed me to go in curious and wondering what might happen here. Well, that's one of the things that some of us never learn. I'm actually not great about this part, that if you go first, if you reach out, you know, if you make the ask, if you extend your hand, if it's a no, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like very few asks in our life do we make where the stakes are that high, especially in what we're talking about, friendship, relationship, opportunities, whatever. Like if it's a no, if walk. Walk it back to what's the worst that could happen there. Like if Sarah had been like, no, I don't take guest posts. Well, okay. Like okay. it's not personal. Or even if she was like, no, I, you know, we don't really align and I'm not, that's not how I'm doing this project. Okay. There's nothing like from good person to good person. And I think the vast majority of us are good people and well-intentioned people. Even a no is not personal. It's not about people's worth. It's not like... But I get nervous about that, too. Like, I am trying to make new friends now a little bit, and my daughter just started a new school. So it's like a whole new group of moms and parents. And I get nervous. Like, if someone says no, that they don't want to get together, or they don't text me back, or whatever, like, even if I give myself the self-talk that it's not personal, everybody's busy, everybody has their own life, or whatever, you still think, well, I don't want to see them at the carpool because they said no to me. That is not that big a deal. (laughs) Really isn't. I say all the time, if I can leave my children with one skill, it will be the ability to cold call. I I think that if they can walk out of my house with the ability to like cold call and public speak, the world is their oyster. The ability to just ask. You know, I grew up with a, my stepfather was a door-to-door insurance salesman. So that was like drilled into, the worst someone can say is no. That's the worst someone can say. But I, when you name that about, well, maybe it doesn't align, I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I had said that? Like in my early 20s, I think when I was very self-righteous about my own political views, I might have said, no, I don't want to platform someone who votes differently mm. than me. I think there's an there's an alternate universe where Beth comes along later in my life, posts some dramatic changes in American culture and politics where I would say that again. I would say no, right? Like that's we think about that on our own show. Like, wh- who do we want to give voice to? We have to be really careful about that. So, oh my God, I'm so grateful in that moment. And I think for a lot of reasons, I think we had had some conversations around natural childbirth, which both of I, both of us had that kind of built a little in, trust in the trust bank. But I'm so grateful that I didn't have that reaction of preciousness about my platform and what was I sharing it with and did we align perfectly and that I was just more interested in the fact that She felt differently than I did, and I wanted to hear why. And so then did your relationship feel private? Because relationships are private, like by nature of that intimacy. Or did it feel from the get-go, because you were doing this project, did it feel public? I think that's such an interesting question. I I think for me, our relationship didn't start feeling private until we started traveling together. Oh, what do you say more? Well, our conversations were largely in public. We were not doing this professionally at the beginning. We weren't planning a bunch. We would like get on the phone. What do you want to talk about? And we would do our best with it. And so there wasn't as much of an off the mic relationship as there is now that this is our full time job. When we started traveling together, that's when we had the large chunks of time where friendship is developed. We, we're eating together, we're driving together, we're flying together, we're in the green room together before and after the show, processing things. And I think it it was in those moments when we really were alone, we weren't trying to create content, that we got to know who this other person was. You know, hearing Sarah talk to her husband on the phone is a key ingredient of understanding Sarah. And <laughs> And I didn't get that when we were just hopping on to record late at night and then, you know, passing out and getting up to be moms and workers and all the things the next day. Mm. It just, it took that investment of time and those unscripted opportunities to really see 
the fullness of who she was and who and and who she is to me and who I am to her. Well, and it's so funny because at the beginning, it felt very private to me, even when we weren't traveling. I really was just talking to Beth. I was not talking to anyone listening. I was talking to Beth. That's all I was doing. That's, I was sitting down and being like, what do you think about this? Here's what I think about this. Now, that's that is I would be lying to you if I said that was totally true anymore. There is no way for us to do what we do now without the awareness that thousands of people are listening. And so there is more of a we're talking with each other than just to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it like it be, it was private and then it expanded. And then because of the business, there's like a branch that is private now because we are, you know, we stay in each other's homes and we travel together and we understand each other's kids and all that. Like then it's like it bifurcated in a way inside our relationship. Okay. I do think that's interesting because another thing that I talk about in the life council is that you can let friendships and these are important friendships to you possibly, but you can let them stay in their own lane. So for example, business besties, someone that you're working with or that you're in a a partnership with, an important partnership with, it doesn't have to be personal. You don't have to, you know, stay in one of those homes when you travel. You don't have to do that part. Like it it can still be meaningful and deep or shallow, however you choose and stay in its own lane and still be a friend, still be a life council member. It can and has with you bled into these other parts. And that can obviously take a relationship to a much deeper level when you're staying in one another's homes, when you're hearing each other on the phone, when you're letting those things bleed over, but it doesn't have to. So give me just an overview of the timeline that we're talking about here. Like how many years between college and this, you know, meeting back up and then how long of doing the show before you started traveling together? Like, are, is this a condensed timeline or are we talking about a long timeline? No, it's a long time. I mean, we graduated from college in 2003 and we started the podcast in 2015. So it was a long time. We mm-hmm. lived a lot of life in between there. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I really, I, th- I think the business bestie chapter, I loved it so much because I think it was that they understand something other people in your life can't understand because mm-hmm. of the, especially depending on the nature of your work. That's 100% true. Even with other, you know, podcasters, that's valuable, but really no one understands like Beth does because the, every journey is so unique, especially on the internet. And so I think there's part of that. But to me, the intimacy came from like being the battle buddy. I mean, we started recording this podcast in 2015. It was like two months after Donald Trump came down the escalator. And so like we just, we went through a lot together, processing, emotional, and it just, it just drove such a sense of intimacy, even though we were having these conversations in public. Even though we were having these. Mm-hmm. And so there was a different level of intimacy when we started hanging out, traveling and personally. But for me, it was already there. It was already there even just a couple months into recording the podcast. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, Dot com and use code U-Y-O-U. Before we talk about Battle Buddies, because I do think that is like such an important distinction for you both. But before that, were you fellow obsessives? 
So I'm making that judgment call about you because I, I followed your work, you know, but like maybe y'all were like, I don't know, I'm not more into politics than I am anything else. This just happens to be the thing that I'm known for publicly. And obviously I know you're very into politics now, but like I'm, I'm asking because I think when people, I think fellow obsessives is such an easy gateway to make friends. Like if you have something you're really into, like find that group on the internet, find that group in your community. Like this is what's wonderful about the modern era is that we can find each other with these things that we're obsessed with. Were you both fellow obsessives about, I guess I would, I'm just going to say politics, which is a very broad term, but. I think we were probably fellow obsessives first. And I don't even know if it's about politics as much as we are both obsessed with big questions. Mm-hmm. We lose that fellow obsessives when it comes to things like fashion, which Sarah could talk about forever and I have relatively little interest in. But we are fellow obsessives about big questions and about what makes people tick and about why certain things capture our attention and about following the news. And I do think that that is the spark that brought us together and and communicating about those things too, right? Not just following them, but making our voices heard on those topics really united us. I think business besties is true only in the sense that we have a business together. I feel like I've had a number of business besties, which are people that I love and cherish. It feels very different to me when it's your business that you're creating from the ground up than when you have this business bestie that's in that's in a context that's already been made. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. Because I think to, the word for me is partner. We're partners. That's what we are in this business. That's like a totally different thing. And I totally agree. Like the obsessiveness... Because we could have been traditionally politically obsessed and just done electoral politics at every episode. And we ne- we resisted that from the beginning. I think both of us mm-hmm. were like, we don't want to do that. We want to... We were obsessed with a different type of political conversation. We wanted to talk about, well, what does this mean about how we feel about death and life when we're talking about healthcare? What does this mean when we're talking about fairness? Like, what what is that? How does that show up in our life and how we treat our friends or our parents or our kids? And like, but we've always said, like, we're like processing the news. We're not just reporting it. We're not reporters or we're not just, you know plugging into the political zeitgeist, we really wanted to have a different type of conversation. And I do think, I mean, obviously we were both obsessed with it. We had new babies and we were sitting on the floor in our houses exhausted at like nine o'clock at night and still recording an hour long conversation about it. So that's, I think that's pretty obsessive. Well, yeah, that's my point that there is nothing more bonding, at least like on a, you know, so quickly as a fellow obsessive, like something that you are obsessed with that you fight through tired baby days with that you work your weekends around you know whatever your obsession is that's so bonding to find someone else who also cares about this thing even if they care about it differently obviously you were seeing through different lens at that time but you care deeply enough about it this is true with so much of our hobbies or our passions even if they're silly if it's a tv show that you're obsessed with whatever and then i think some people are like well i don't really have an obsession well you need to get one I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Like find an obsession. It can be deep. It can be shallow. And then find those people. If you're lonely, like if you're like, I don't have any friends and also I don't have an obsession. Well, those things are paired together. Mm. Yeah. And maybe another way to say it is, is what is the thing that creates energy for you? I love how in the Life Council you describe the way friendships do have a chemistry, mm-hmm. you know, it's different than romantic chemistry, but it is still a chemistry. And maybe you resist the word obsession, fine, but like you've got to have things that light you up. Yep. And that could could light you up in a different way if you shared them with someone. And that's a word we used a lot in Pansu Politics talking about how we started. There was a chemistry between mm-hmm. in our conversations and between us from the very beginning. From the very beginning. I don't know if y'all read Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. That book came out a while ago. But she talks about, and and now I've heard this, you know, you can sort of make this into succinct meme. But in her book, I had not really encountered this idea yet when I first read it of like just following the crumbs of the things that you're interested in. Like if you 
really like something that's on your for you page on social media, you sometimes you don't even know, you know, until you're like served up, up this so the content, algorithm's and you're like, like, did you know you're obsessed with this? No algorithm, <laughs> I didn't. Thank you for sharing. I mean, has it happened to all of us? Maybe, you know. Am I a 41-year-old woman who clearly still loves wedding dresses? The algorithm thinks so. I think it's probably right. (laughs) It knows better than we do, for sure. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. But just following, like, your own energy, like Beth said, of like, oh, I really like this. I find this amusing. I find this interesting. Just being curious about those things, you might hit a wall on it. Like, you might be like, you know what, actually, like, I'm done with true crime now. And that's fine. But through that, following that crumb, like, you are like, oh, but, you know, I really love these types of shows or this type of commentary or whatever. Just following the little crumbs of your own interests, instead of being passive about that, instead of just, like, going with what's trendy or claiming that you're too busy to follow those crumbs or letting the algorithm pick for you to really sort of pay attention to that can be such insight into what we are going to find interesting, which means like what kind of people we're going to find interesting that we Mm -hmm. want to be in relationship with. You know what I think is the problem and the struggle is I think sometimes what people articulate are articulating is either I don't want to, or I'm afraid to go a little deeper. Cause I do think to find, to be obsessed to be into a person, to find that friendship, to like go with it. There's so much vulnerability. There's so much risk. And I think people are really afraid of that because you could get hurt because it, they could reject you. And I think I've realized as I get older, like not everybody wants to sit down with a stranger and say, like I do, what's the meanest thing your dad's ever said to you? You know, like I just, I'm ready to go there right away, but not everybody is there with me. And so it's like, it's finding that, sort of alignment where, and I think that's hard in friendship. Who's, who's willing to ask that question immediately? Who needs a warm up period? Will we still find a path to friendship if we're on different speeds when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to vulnerability, when it comes to just sort of willingness? Because what we hear when we did a survey for our book, I was so interested in when you were doing these surveys on Insta Insta stories and you talk about it at the end of the book, when we did it for now, what, What we heard is like when people don't let me, people, friends, community members, family members don't let me talk about hard things, I don't feel seen. I don't feel heard. I don't feel understood. I have to talk about the hard things, obsessions, whatever, and interrogate those in order to to feel like I know myself better and they know me better. And so Mm -hmm. if we're afraid of that and we're not ready for that, well, then that's going to shut out the other person or shut ourselves out of that relationship. Well, and even taking one step behind that, though, one step back from that is it's definitely vulnerable in relationships to share an obsession. Sometimes I think we don't even let ourselves be obsessed with things before we even take it to the friendship level. We don't even let ourselves like what we like. Like Mm -hmm. we talk ourselves out of like, oh, I don't want to be a person that's super into The Bachelor or Disney (laughs) or something that might be judged from the outside, even though actually I really love those things. Or I don't want people to know like how into my Peloton I am, you know, because that's like like an identity marker that the internet has deemed dumb or that we think is shameful for whatever reason. We all have our own things. I've seen this. I've seen this in myself. I've seen this in friends around me that we don't let ourselves always like what we really like because we mm-hmm. don't like what it what we think it says about our identity or our personality yep. or our cool factor. You know, we're like, you don't I'm, not, be I'm not going to be that girl. Yeah. You don't I don't want to be, be cringe. Well, I'm a recovering workaholic. When I was in school, I was thinking about my career. When I started my career, I was thinking about the next step of my career. And I, I did that for a long time. And I've told you this before, Laura, something I just so admire in your work is that you model taking all of your life seriously. And I did not take my obsessions seriously that were not work-related. And I did not take my relationships seriously that were not work-related. Like that is where my focus was and where I thought it was supposed to be until I retired. Uh, And it really took a lot of personal change and honestly, a lot of influence from Sarah for me to say, like, wait a second, it does matter that I love Survivor 
that is a part of me. That's as much a part of me as any course I took in law school. And and I can be a person who loves to go deep on policy issues and still be someone who is like very enthusiastic about uh, tribal dynamics, you know, on, on Thursday nights. And it's just taken me a while to get there. And maybe those things are not that different, first of they all. They aren't. For sure not. <laughs> but I will receive that compliment, as you said, this on Voxer to me this week, and I actually like screen took a screenshot of it for myself, that I model taking all parts of my life seriously. I'm receiving that as a as the compliment that I think you intend. Yes. I will also say it's a blessing and a curse. People in my life, my husband, you know, my real life friends off screen, Sometimes the criticism can be, we don't have to take everything so seriously. (laughs) I reject that. I reject that. (laughs) Maybe let me restate it and say, you are aware that it all matters and that it's Mm -hmm. all allowed to be significant and uh, nothing is too unsophisticated or trivial to have a, to have emotional space. Cause it does like, we're just pretending that it doesn't. Right. Otherwise, so let's not pretend. Or we're denying a part of ourselves that is special and unique. And uh, I'm going to use the word we haven't used yet. Fun. Obsessions are fun. They are. Yeah. Even our weird political one is fun. Yes. Yeah. I think that that, that's what I tell people all the time. I'm like, you know, the business page impacts my life too, but I'm not obsessed with that. It's not like a character you know, I'm not a better person because I care about this and I tell myself it has impact on the world. All the stuff I care about or I'm obsessed with, it does have significant or we wouldn't be talking about it. That's why that's why I will owe an unending debt to Anne Helen Peterson, who showed up and said, this is why celebrity gossip matters. And I was like, I knew mm. we were doing something of impact here and I just couldn't articulate it. Thank you so much. And I feel that's why, you know, that's why that we all love that scene in the Devil Wears Prada, if you like fashion, where she's like, you think this is just blue? This isn't just blue. Let me tell you why you're wearing that sweater. Like, there's more going on here. Like, and when you find somebody who, like, sees it and you're like, thank God. Like, I knew. Mm-hmm. I knew it. You know? Like, I knew it. And when, you, when somebody says, I see it, too. That's what friendship is. I see it, too. It could mm-hmm. be, I see that there is a lot to take away from spare. Harry's new biography. Yes, I would like to discuss that with you. I think it matters. Or yes, I have been through that difficult miscarriage and you, I see what you're going through, right? Like I just see it with you. That's all we're asking for. And everybody's not going to see it. That's okay. As long as you find one person who says, yeah, I see it too. I see it too. Yeah. God, it's so good. Okay. So you went from being fellow obsessives. You still are, of course. But because 2015... (laughs) It's a real notable moment. Yeah, we have good timing. Bad timing? You're, good time. Important timing. You had timing. You, you we had, had some timing. kind of timing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Your fellow obsessive bonding moment then morphed into what quickly became Battle Buddies. So Battle Buddies in the book I describe as someone that you are going through something with. Like all of the Life Council members and their descriptions, this can be as shallow or as deep as you want to make it. A battle buddy can be, you know, just a coworker in a bad job and you both can just complain about the boss together. A battle buddy can be, you know, a neighbor when your community is going through something, anything. A battle buddy can be someone you share a diagnosis with and you're really walking through that journey together. Like there are all types of battle buddies. There is no ranking them. It's just someone that you are going through something with and they understand the the struggle of this path that you're on. So as a uh, political podcasters <laughs> in 2015, all the way through this present moment in 2023, I would call y'all battle buddies. I think that's right. Where you really had me with this description was in the final paragraph of the chapter where you talk about how this is a person who I I know who this person is. I know who Sarah is, and I believe that Sarah knows who I am. And I believe we can be objective about each other, but always partial to each other. I loved that description. That feels exactly right to me because when you are fortified by difficult things, it is important to have clarity and to be able to be just radically honest about what's going on here and what I see. 
but to do it with that sense of like, I'm always for you and you're always for me and we trust that. I think that is like the the real gift of this type of friendship. Mm. Yeah, it's very special. And it and the thing is, we weren't just going through all those hard things nationally. Like I ran for office twice after we started the podcast. We both had our youngest, like they were babies. They were they were not even a year old when we started. I've gone through two diet. My son has been diagnosed with hemiplegia and type one diabetes since we started the podcast. Like there, we have buried people. We have like it's just there's just a lot of of all types of battles that we've gone through. And I think there is a sense of like, especially the political stuff we were going through on the podcast. I think the real bonding aspect of it is that we felt like we were leading people through the battle. We felt a responsibility to our audience and to our listeners. And I mean, you know, I, I will never, as long as I live, like during the Kavanaugh hearing, people were emailing us stories of sexual assault they never shared with anybody but us. And that's just a lot to carry together. I can't imagine doing this alone. And so just to be side by side and like not just battling together, but feeling like we were battling on behalf of other people was and remains very intense. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, we know what the political battle was outside of ourselves. I was going to ask what was happening between the two of you as the as the buddy part of the battle buddies and you're carrying one another through this time, the audience part. I'm so glad you said that because doing this publicly and doing this as a leader is definitely going to impact the battle part of this. Mm-hmm. But I wondered if maybe Beth, you could speak to your beliefs and affiliations were changing during this time privately and then <laughs> also publicly because this whole thing that's happening. Can you speak to that part of the battle and the buddy? (laughs) Well, I think that from the beginning, it was a gift that Sarah did not reduce me to being a Republican. Like we had sort of the tagline, Sarah from the left, Beth from the right, which still haunts me in internet searches and in some people's biographies, you know, who haven't updated. But she never required me to be a caricature. And and I wasn't uh, a good caricature for the right, even when we started, even pre-Trump, I was like not a great Republican. People would have called me a rhino then before everyone was a rhino. Wait, can I just pause? I love this. Yes. But I just need to say I track with all of these words. <laughs> <laughs> I was so bad at it. I, I always have tracked with your whole thing. I've always been so appreciative of you sharing your journey. And so just as you're sharing it, I just want to... I just want to put my hands up and literally say yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank Keep you. Going. It's good to be reminded when we're not alone, especially about our politics. So I I feel like two things happen. I feel like the party changed and I changed also. Uh, not in every way. There are things that I would offer as a perspective today that are identical to what I would have said about them in 2015, but not many things. Because if you are talking for hours every single week, about political issues and spending the hours that you're not talking, learning, you're going to change and you should. And I would be worried about myself if I were static and exactly consistent this whole time. So I think that uh, there's that public battle that, that a lot of people were going through a similar journey. And I think the buddy part is that I was being worked on by this person who I wanted to influence me because I think her mind is so interesting and I think her heart is very aligned with my heart. And so, of course, I welcomed her influence in my life and I could see her welcoming my influence in hers. We have certainly worked on each other in a in a bunch of different ways. So there's kind of the political battle and then there's like the, the branding battle of the fact that we had launched this thing with the idea that we represented two different perspectives and people felt that I wasn't living up to that. Mm-hmm. And man, like the worst thing for me is disappointing people's expectations. I hate that so much. Uh, every review that was like, you said you're this and you're not. And I've been lied to. I was like, you are just pushing every button that I have. And so that was not sustainable for me. 
And I just trusted because of the battle we had gone through so far that Sarah would understand that and that it would be fine and we would roll with it. And I, and I trusted to some extent that the battle buddy sentiment with our audience, they were going through all of this along with us. They were, they have always sent us the kind of emails that Sarah described. People really share our share their lives with us and allow us into theirs. And so I, I just had that sense of like, these people know who I am and they are for me and I can change my party registration. I'm not a good Democrat now, right? Like I don't, I don't fit that a whole lot better than I fit the Republican label and that's fine. I think that, that when you have a battle buddy who goes through multiple battles with you, you get clearer and clearer together on what's really solid and what's just kind of noise. And I really understand now that that our podcast, what's what's true and solid about it is my relationship with Sarah. We are going to be different, even if we agree on every detail of a policy. Do you spend five minutes with us? You know, we're very we're just different people. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there will be that chemistry and that contrast and that back and forth. We don't have to force it. And and it's been nice to have that clarity and, and not feel like I had to force it anywhere. Mm hmm. Sarah, what did you feel as the buddy part of this? You know, Beth sort of gets the, like in y'all's public story, she sort of gets the credit or, you know, it's like her trajectory of of change. But there's no way that you are unchanged by all of this, by what was happening in the world, by what was Mm -hmm. happening in this relationship, by speaking about it publicly all of this time. It's going to change you, period. It is. But I feel like we maybe don't hear that side of it from you. Well, I definitely think one of my proudest moments is that Beth took that step and did not feel the need to talk to me. Like, she's not like she called and was like, what do you think if I change my party registration? She just said, I changed my party registration. I said, great, fascinating, love it. You know, like, I'm I'm really proud of that. Like, I think early 20-year-old Sarah wouldn't, I'm, I'm afraid she wouldn't have felt that comfort. You know what I mean? Like, and I think I've softened tremendously and I've learned that you can't shame someone into agreeing with you and Mm -hmm. I've learned the complexity of human communication I liked the talking part a lot when I started the podcast that's why I was willing to start a podcast but I don't know how great I was at the listening part of communication I mean I'd been married a long time I wasn't a monster but (laughs) I mean I was running for office and I started a podcast what else do you need to know I like the sound of my own voice I still do I'm not gonna lie to you but I think I learned like but that's not there's nothing special there the special is the the entrance of the other person the special is the back and forth the special is the the dance that happens between the two of us that's what's interesting that's what's beautiful that's what's fascinating to me still today, seven years later, and will be seven years from now. And I think that I definitely have, I don't even like the word learned because that feels too transactional. It's like I've absorbed it. Like it's in my cells. It's just muscle memory, you know, mm-hmm. like at this point. And and look, you know, I feel that with a lot of my friendships, my long-term friendship. I re- in our second book, I write about my best friend from college who is pro-life, devout Catholic, and what I have, how I have absorbed that dance with her. I think that is the beautiful, the beautiful impact of friendship is that is that energy flow between the two people. And I just think it is, you know, Beth is one of the greatest gifts of my life. That dance has changed everything. It has changed my whole life, you know, like, and I, I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful for how it has changed my life, how it has changed me, how I see the world differently. I mean, it's just, it it has been the most beautiful gift. How have y'all maintained that kind of connection when your friendship has been so public? Like, I'm actually asking. And I know that we we said that you have a lot of private moments and a lot of things that are not public about you. But it's almost like, you know, they say that like reality TV curse of like when a marriage goes on a reality TV show, like always that marriage busts up after. <laughs> Even if it was like super strong before, they thought it was great. And then there's something about being public, 
maybe other people seeing things you don't or the criticism or the spotlight. I don't know. There's a lot of factors at play. Maybe that relationship wasn't as healthy as you thought in the beginning. But you have a publicness to your friendship. And we have seen this in other partnerships, maybe, of other, you know, internet relationships or not just reality TV shows, like even, I don't know, like morning show hosts, like anything where when your relationship has a public element to it, it it, it has a different dynamic from like your mom friends or whatever, like anyone else. Yeah. How have you maintained that connection and have you had to ever reroute? Have you ever had to be like, we need to stop down and connect with each other outside of whatever's happening on the show or on social or whatever? Like, have you had those like, let's, let's have a heart to heart right now? Like, have you had to do that? Is that too intimate a question? Not at all. I think a couple of things occur to me. So one, our expectations were different than the expectations in most friendships because we did start believing that there was this contrast. Mm-hmm. So I've never expected sameness from Sarah. Right. And I have never expected to have a conversation with her that is 100% her going, yeah, you're right. I agree with you. You got this all down. I can't add a thing. That's just not what what I walked into this looking for. And I do think we walk into a lot of our friendships expecting that to be about it. Constant affirmation. And then when your expectations are disappointed, it hurts. Mm. So we had different expectations from the beginning. We also do all of our work around articulating that disagreement is healthy, conflict is important, our differences are our strengths, we give each other grace. So like our public our public friendship holds us accountable to a lot of those private values. Like we couldn't do our work in public if we were secretly like mad at each other all the time or feeling wounded and petty and not airing it out. So we, we have to... We have to walk the walk that we're talking about constantly. And I think that, you know, yes, we absolutely have to have moments where we say it's time for us to just talk to each other, not with anyone else around. So we do retreats a couple times a year where it's just us. We've realized when we've brought our whole team into those retreats that we need to build in time of the day that's just us. Like we go for a walk in the morning, in the evening. It's bizarre how much we talk to each other on those retreats as though we don't have enough opportunities to just chat about things because we're so interesting Beth I know I actually brought like one of those conversation card games to one of our retreats and we went through it it. like we like we knew nothing about each other and we just couldn't get enough and so I think we do I think we do the work of that and and we have had moments of conflict where it's just like this has really been bothering me I need to tell you this and it's hard And I think the thing we do best in those moments is one of us always steps up to say, good, thank you for telling me because I love you and I'm in this with you. Like I want I want this to be a healthy marriage. That's basically what we've got here. And Mm -hmm. I want it to stay that way. And so we really encourage, let's just, let's work this out instead of nursing that wound. Okay. Two things about that, that are so important. Two of them speak to my most important friendship philosophies, two of my most important friendship philosophies, which are believe the best, which I think has Mm -hmm. been threaded through this entire conversation. And we can see through your entire work that you believe the best about one another. And that allows you to disagree. That allows you to give grace and not withhold those things because you are starting from a place where you believe the best. And then number two, which is harder to talk about in a tangible way, because, you know, all relationships are different, but you just did it is friendship is a to do. So it requires a maintenance. It requires an awareness. It requires what you're describing that is actually very inspiring to me. And I'm, my mind is like worrying, is like going, spinning out on that when you're on a retreat together, even if other people are there, that you carve out time to have just the two of you. This is something we would do in our marriages. Like if you went on a couple's vacation, you would definitely carve out time with your partner to like have your own dinner or your own massages or whatever to take advantage of that bonding time. The fact that you're doing that as a partnership, people do not talk about that in friendship. People talk about like, oh, we have to do it as a group. Everyone has to be fair or equal or like, oh, I don't want to put this much effort into it. There's all these ways that we don't talk about this part 
of like, no, we need to have time just us. Um, we don't have to include the whole group or we, we might have to get up early and sacrifice a little sleep to get that time in like, oh, oh, that's a, that's work. That's the work of relationship. And not all of your friendships are going to require that or need that. But if you have a friendship that does, you have to actually do it. Yes. Sarah, what did you want to say? I was bursting. Okay. <laughs> so many things. I mean, the first thing I want to say I don't even know if this is in the right order, but just randomly. The first thing I want to say is I think we have a narrative that friendships prop up healthy marriages, but I also want to say that healthy marriages prop up friendships and that like we have other good friends and really great husbands. My husband is more concerned that Beth's needs are being met than my own. I just want to put that on. He is always, how's Beth? Is Beth doing? Are you sure Beth's okay with that? Like she, he just, he just, he just frets over her because he's an Enneagram six and he just worry about her all the time. You know? So I think like that's, we have this, these amazing employees and all our friends who see how important we are to each other and support that too. And I think we only see that through the lens of marriage, but I think it's just as important with friendship. The other thing is I remember reading Jennifer Weiner's Good in Bed, which I think is her best book. And just being so jealous of the idea that you would be friends with this celebrity, this person everybody loves and looks up to. And now I am. And I just hold it so tight because she is as fabulous as you think she is. All of our listeners. And so like to have someone in your ear all the time being like, she's just the greatest. I'm like, I know. And she's all mine, suckers. Ha 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 ha. You know, like, I think that's part of it too. It's just like, just, just being like, they're my, I get them. I get, this is my person. Like, I'm just so eat up with gratitude about it. And I do like, and the other thing, not to, not to like miss the obvious, Beth was an HR professional before she became a podcaster. So she has a lot of very valuable skills when it comes to maintaining this relationship. Like I'll never forget, we were on a retreat and we were like working through some stuff. And she was like, we just remember nothing's wrong. Like nothing's broken. Nothing is broken here. We love each other. We're on mm. the same page. Like we're just talking through some stuff that are that's sticky or that's tension, but like we just need to keep front and center. Nothing's broken. And that is like, that's gold right there. That's just gold. That is gold. It's also gold that you, what you just said, and I don't want to miss this. It is so open hearted and loving and generous and healthy to have a friend that everyone else loves and that you can be like, isn't it amazing that I get to be friends with her? As opposed to our, you know, baser selves might be like, I mean, she's not that great, you guys. <laughs> like she messes up too. Or to feel like, ugh, she always gets that, this golden light around her and like, I want to be seen too. And, and if you have friendships like that, if anyone has friendships like that, that's actually natural, like human emotions are natural, but that you express it, that you then, that you're going to default to, isn't it amazing that I get to be friends with her? Yeah. You are right to be jealous, everyone. You are right to be jealous of me. Just saying. I think that that is beautiful and almost a perfect way to end this conversation, which I feel like could go on for a million more hours. But, <laughs> you know, you alluded to this in the beginning, but I, I want to reiterate it, that of all of these different ways that you are friends, battle buddies, fellow obsessives, kind of new friends at the beginning of this, now you have entered into a season where you can consider yourself old friends. I do want to say old friends does not have a timestamp on it. I describe old friends in the book as anyone who has seen you from one phase into another. And, and that can be short. You know, how long is a short stick kind of thing? Old friends doesn't require that you have childhood friends. It just requires you have a friend who has seen a before and an after. And that is absolutely what y'all are among everything else. You have seen each other from a, a before and a now. And it's just been beautiful to watch. Thank you for sharing your friendship with us publicly. You are leaders in a political space and navigating these dicey and choppy <laughs> political waters. But I want you all to hear that you're also leaders and models in friendship. Oh, and you. it really matters because we don't have a ton of examples of that that aren't contrived or that aren't have a weird air behind them and, and yours doesn't. And it's the reason that I wanted you to come be on the show for that very reason. 
Thank you, you so, so much. much. And I wanted to say one more thing. When I was reading your book, I want to say right before this podcast started with Beth, I lost two dear, dear friends. And that's actually what I thought of when I was reading your empty chair chapter. That's a different perspective on the empty chair, right? It's not empty because they walked away. It's empty because they died and I lost them. And I think about that a lot with friendship. I think about the friends that are lost to me forever. And I think that's why I was able to lean in and have that open-hearted and be vulnerable because I just value friendships so deeply because I've, I've lo I lost my beautiful friend, Amelia, literally like right around the same time. And I just think about that when you were writing that, when I was reading that chapter of yours, I thought, oh man, that's a different kind of empty chair in a friendship that informs how we see these beautiful people in our lives. Yeah. But it's, that's inherent. That's the inherent vulnerability in this too. Like this inviting people into your lives, but man, it makes everything so much richer and more beautiful. And I cannot thank you enough for writing about it, sharing your stuff, the life council articulating especially around friendship when I think right now so many people are lonely and are longing for that. And we could, we, we could and should talk about it for a thousand hours. And I am so glad that you are doing that work. You're so kind, my friend. Thank you for coming here and sharing your stuff with my audience. I love it so much. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. You've just listened to an episode of the 10 things to tell you podcast. For show notes and links, go to 10thingstotellyou.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at 10thingstotellyou. And you can also join our free connection group on Facebook to discuss episodes and topics. For bonus content, ad-free episodes, and monthly Zoom gatherings with me, join my Secret Stuff Patreon community by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. Thanks for listening.